This is Marketing Smarts, a podcast committed to helping you become a savvier marketing leader, no matter your level. In each episode, we will dive into a relevant topic or challenge that marketing leaders are currently facing. We will also give you practical tools and applications that will help you put what you learn into practice today. And if you missed anything, don't worry. We put worksheets on our website that summarize the key points. Now, let's get to it. Welcome to Marketing Smarts. I am Ann Candido. And I am April Martini. And today we're going to talk about how to get hired as an influencer. So being an influencer has become pretty good business for a lot of people, some better than others. Instagrammers, bloggers, YouTubers, TikTokers, Snapchatters, these channels have provided a platform for everyday people to become, frankly, as popular as some celebrity talent. But why do some folks achieve this status while others do not? Some may say it's luck, some may say it's accessibility or the quote-unquote being discovered. And honestly, there's a bit of luck involved, but luck only turns into opportunity if certain truths are met. And we're going to talk about those truths today and how those truths can lead to actually being hired for your influencer status. And you might ask why we know this. And we know this because we have hired many, many influencers for many, many programs throughout our careers. And this may sound like a niche topic on the surface, but honestly, it isn't. Even though most of us aren't looking to translate our influence into a business, we are looking to sell our influence to achieve our goals. So whether it's in winning the budget to support projects, getting that promotion we want, getting support for a point of view to forward our agenda, all of this takes influence, which requires us to become an influencer even if it is in a slightly different context. Yep, that's right. So this is for anybody who wants to sell influence, which should be everybody. Everybody. Yeah. All right, and with that, let's get into the truth on how to get hired as an influencer. All right, first, you need to have a focus that attracts and holds a community. And this is fundamental and foundational. You're going to hear us talk about this all the way through. Because in order to be an influencer, you need to cultivate influence around something tangible, something of value. Without it, you're just a person with an opinion. And we've seen a lot of those who disguise themselves as influencer, but just profess to postulate on anything that happens to be kind of going through their mind that day. So in order to be able to actually cultivate this influence, you need to be very specific and niche as possible with what you want to be an influencer on. This is what you're going to build your credibility around. So, for example, mom influencers are a dime a dozen. I mean, that's been the big thing. Mommy bloggers, mommy influencers. But that's exactly how much you're going to get paid, a dime a dozen, (laughs) if you don't actually have a specific focus. So, what does this look like? All right, we'll use mommy influencers as as an example for a second. So, we've hired mommy influencers or mom influencers who explore fun things to do with their kids in Cincinnati, It's a very specific topic that a lot of people in Cincinnati, their community, goes to in order to find out, hey, what do I do with my kids this weekend? What's new going on? We've hired mom influencers who specifically talk about life hacks to get through their busy lives. And these are really good life hacks, not just like a random life hack or something that just happened to happen today. It's like really substantial, consequential life hacks that really help busy moms. In both these cases, people come to their site specifically For this info, we have never, ever, ever hired a mom influencer who didn't have a clear point of view. Just didn't. I know that tends to be somewhat of a hard thing for people to wrap their minds around because a lot of people feel just by the virtue of the fact that they happen to be a mom that somehow that they have or can profess some sort of influence on that. And it's just not the case. This is a business. So you have to have a clear focus because that is what brands are going to pay for when hiring influencers. They want access to your community, which is why they're actually coming to you to begin with, because they can't authentically reach that community on your own. You are the conduit. You're the way they're going to get to this community. But in order to achieve a level of authenticity, there needs to be a clear connection point that's compelling to the community as well as to the brand. Otherwise, it looks forced. So we're going to talk about more of that in the next point. But I wanted just to drive this point home a little bit harder (laughs) and just say in order to achieve this clarity... You must, must, must spend time honing the craft. There's just no other way about it. Influencers with active followers are putting out a lot of content in order to find declare their focus. So you must be committed to doing the same. The mentality that you'll just like make a video or put a post out there and it's going to go viral is really misinformed. It happens so, so infrequently. You can 
have a better chance of getting struck by lightning. Seriously, seriously. <laughs> but even if it does, you actually need the content around it to keep your following engaged. Otherwise, a short attention span will just take their attention elsewhere. Yeah, and I will be really honest and say that when Influencer first came out as a business for people, I was somewhat suspect about the whole thing. I was mm-hmm. like, I just don't know. We're going to pay people this money to promote you know, our brand or this business we're working on, those types of things. But damn if it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, it sh- certainly does. But I think that this is one of those interesting places. And the point about holding a community is really important because to me, this is going to your family or friends on steroids, asking for advice mm-hmm. about something. And so I think Anne's point about making sure that you're specific and carving out a niche for yourself is really important because you have to become one, one of their trusted authorities, but then two, not the trusted authority on too many things because then that dissolves the trust. And so I think it mm-hmm. is a really tricky balance of finding that space, carving it out, and then consistently and effectively providing content against it that keeps people coming back. Yeah, that continues to be a value. And I think you hit the nail on the head, which is the fact that like this community feels like they know this person. Yeah, yeah. They know the influencer. Yeah. Like They feel like they're friends. It's the most effective word of mouth uh, marketing that you can get is when you can get people to be able to advocate and support a product, a message in a way that feels very much coming from their own perspective, their own point of view. And you're right. So this is like influencers like putting this on steroids. So in order for you to have that kind of clout to be able to provide to a brand, a business in order to get hired, you're going to have to invest the time in order to create that. Yep. Which, like I said, leads to the second point is you need to create compelling branded content. Now, this is the key for you to get paid as an influencer, you must, must, must be able to translate branded content into your tone so it feels like an integrated part of your channel. Many influencers struggle to do that. They're really good at putting out their own content, but as soon as they try to contextualize that around a brand, it starts feeling like an ad and it starts feeling like it's pushed or forced within your community. And so then your community doesn't react well to it, which means your engagement isn't as good as some of your other posts, which means then you lack what a brand is looking for in order to hire you. Because remember, they're looking for access to your community through you. So you need to be able to really figure out how to integrate what branded content is going to look like for you. And this could look like a bunch of different ways. There's actually no really right way to do that. But you need to figure out how to authentically weave it in to your tone, to your character, maybe test to learn a little bit to see what your community is receptive to. But at the end of the day, your community needs to feel like this is something they can come to expect from you so that it feels like it's integrated. And a little just tip is that... I would just give some free brand love to whatever brand you happen to like. You don't have to wait for a brand to come along to pay you to start building a little bit of advocacy to kind of see what works within your community, to see what your community is responsive to and tag that brand. Because I can tell you brand managers, those who work on the brand from the agencies are looking for that kind of content. You never know. You might hit somebody's radar screen. Yeah, I think that also is a really good way to practice your authenticity and how to, like Ian said, create mm-hmm. that branded content in an effective way. Because if you start from a place of, I really love this brand, I use this brand all the time, here's mm-hmm. why, and it fits with that niche that you're trying to build a community around, you'll naturally be authentic. And so then that content becomes success criteria for you as you do get hired by brand managers to be able to communicate in the same way, even when you're promoting these other brands, products, et cetera, of course you have to make sure you'd actually put your name behind them, right? So I'm not trying to say here that you would be faking it, but I do think there are brands in all of our portfolios of life that we talk about, we gravitate toward, we love, and they live on a pedestal in our minds, and then there's a whole bunch of surrounding ones. And so I think that that practice can really give you a leg up, as well as, like Ann said, see what hits, and then what hits with the brands themselves. 
Right. And then it's a, how you can hone the stylistic elements around that, like yeah. product shots or yep. product shots in action or as part yep. of your life or services that you're I- encountering and that you're becoming a part of. Like it starts giving a little bit more of definition around what this can look like as a brand kind of coming and trying to vet you to see hey, what kind of content they're going to be able to provide? How is it going to integrate into their content? You can have something to show for it before you would even get paid for it. All right, the third truth on how to get hired as an influencer. You need to be consistent in brand character. April, what do you think about this? I do love brand character. So I of know. course, this gets assigned to me. But you know, in this case, brand character has some layers to it. So I'll talk through all of them. So just kind of hang with me. But first and foremost, we want to say that We're not trying to tell you what the brand character should be here. We have an episode on that if you need help in building your brand character. We're just saying here that you need to have one and then it needs to be consistent in the way that it communicates. So what you want to think about is what is the tone or what is the personality that is authentic to you? We are not saying persona. Persona in our mind is something that you create. You fake. Or you fake for the sensationalism or the celebrity aspect of things. We've already talked about authenticity and how important this is to get people to really jive with you. So we're not suggesting that. What we're saying is start thinking through what makes your personality ownable to you And how will those characteristics come to life in the way that you communicate? It has to, has to really transcend all of the content and be done with intentionality versus just posting whatever you feel like whenever you feel like. You've got to really focus on this and make sure that it's a tone that people are used to hearing from you or can get used to hearing from you. Mm -hmm. And the brand needs to understand on the other side who they're getting, so that they won't be surprised or unexpected things won't happen that could ruin the reputation of the brand or, you know, via the association with you. So outside of just making sure that you have a very intentional brand character with those personality traits, like I'm going to be funny or I'm going to be serious or I'm going to be authoritative or whatever those are, the next thing you really need to consider is what type of content are you going to post especially when we get to really controversial topics like politics and religion and social reform. And we have all kinds of crazy things going on in the world today that can just be landmines for people. You have to remember, this is where it becomes a business. It's not just your personal outlet Mm -hmm. for your personal opinion about what's going on. And if you really seriously want to make this your business, you have to think holistically, not only about the brands you're targeting now, but the ones you want to target in the future, that community that you're speaking to, and how much of this is relevant or really you should have any opinion on based on where this niche is that you've carved out. This is no longer spouting off on Facebook or Instagram Mm -hmm. or whatever, using it for your platform to throw out all your personal feelings or venting, putting people on blast about something that happened. It's professional if it's in in a business situation, and that's what you should really be thinking about. In addition, if you have separate business pages or sites or whatever from your personal, you also need to make sure that you at the very least lock down your personal pages. But we would also encourage being careful about what you post there too, because it is online, it doesn't go away, and people can connect the dots really easily. So like I said, lots of layers to this one. Brand character, meaning literally your personality and that tone of voice you're bringing to life to the types of brands you're going to target and how you're going to communicate and they can take you as well as topics that you should and shouldn't speak to and making sure that you're thinking about this at a high level based on who you work with today and who you want to work with in the future. Yeah, I think that's a really, really important point. And we're constantly reminding influencers and and influencers who are or people who are aspiring to be influencers that they need to treat this as a business. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's just no other more simple, direct way to put that out there. So for example, I remember counseling one influencer who wanted to go and line themselves with cannabis. (laughs) Fine. I told him, I'm like, you can go do that. You will never get a CPG ban at all, ever. Mm -hmm. You're just, now you're now making a a line in the sand that said, okay, if you're going to line yourself with that brand, that's totally fine. You will never get another CPG brand. Is that the decision you want to make? Because now your brand character is aligned with something that's a little illicit, that's a little risky. 
regardless if that's been your tone or the way that your content has shown up, that's what people, especially brands, are going to see. And when we talk about association, that's what we're talking about is mm-hmm. that brands are not going to want to be associated, especially you know, some a lot of like wholesome family oriented mm-hmm. brands with things that are listed. Now, if you're okay with that and you want to draw in other brands that are attracted to that, that's fine. Just make a strategic choice about that and understand that once you go there, it's very, very hard to go back. It's, yep. you, it's almost impossible to erase that. That's why you, the way that you behave in public is important. How many people have ruined their careers over saying something or doing something in public that gets captured intentionally or not and gets blasted? I mean, there's stories all over. So don't underestimate the, a brand's diligence in vetting you. Um, they will go through that effort and they will see what can they can pull up because they tend to be very risk adverse, especially the bigger brands, yep. right? So I'm making an assumption that you're aspiring to want to get, you know, to big grow. bucks for big brands. Yeah. And even in the smaller brands who don't who don't have opportunities to like take that amount of risk, they're gonna even to some extent be more conservative because they have a lot to lose at that point. Yep. Yep. All right. The fourth truth on how to get hired as an influencer is you need to be professional in your interactions. And they talked about the fact that this is a business, but we're going to now go into more details. <laughs> and this is specifically hitting on behaviors that we have seen that are not good behaviors if you are acting as a professional in a business. So, April, my preamble. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and we blurred the lines a little bit with the last one, which makes sense, right? Brand character versus being professional. Part of your brand character should be that you're going to be professional through your own individual tone. And we talked about some of the more extreme things, right? Like the topics you choose or the, you know, like Anne mentioned, the cannabis one. What are you going to promote and what are you not going to promote? Here, I mean, we're talking about business fundamentals, guys. And this is an area where, yes, we have been really disappointed and left scratching our heads because there just seems to be a lack of focus on things that could make you show up so much better behind the scenes when you're trying to get hired. And so Mm -hmm. here are the things we're talking about. Number one, be prompt when you receive an inquiry. Keep in mind that brands are sending out inquiries to many influencers, not just to you. And if you want to be hired, you better respond quickly. You snooze, you may lose. It is amazing to me, especially for people that profess to be very digitally minded and always on their devices, yep. that you cannot get a prompt response. I, this is one where I'm just like, come on, low-hanging fruit here. It's just your business, answer. guys. It's your business. Yeah. There's no excuse for it. I mean, in email, right, the the best practice is no more than 24 hours. I mean, in some cases, we weren't even getting that. Right. So anyway, um, then being responsive in your communication. So having to track you down real bad look. Mm -hmm. There were instances where people did a really great job for us in the past from a content perspective. The brand was happy. But when it came to things like, hey, we need your tax ID number, we need your address, you know, how can we reach you when you're actually doing the work to, to promote this, all of those types of things, and you can't get a hold of the people. That's super frustrating. Also, a really Mm -hmm. bad look. And then finally, following guidelines outlined by the brand. Yes, this is a little bit of a dance. It's a little bit of a balancing act. It is your channel. And we're not saying that you should partner with or promote any brands, even if you get in a situation where you've signed on and you don't feel aligned, where you should sacrifice yourself to make it work. That that will lead to inauthenticity and you know ruin things for you much quicker than if you just walk away and say, not a good fit. But you do have to remember that when you do commit to these brands that you are taking on the onus of promoting them through your tone, through your character, but that is your responsibility. And brands have rules and guidelines, Mm -hmm. especially the big ones that you have to uphold and stay within. This is where we also talk about thinking about the bigger audience, bigger channel, bigger brands that you want to be a part of. You have to be thinking about this because the brands want to be associated with you only as long as it's a good look for them and it's compatible and it's not putting anything out there that they don't support. So it does take some work. It takes consideration. And I think all of this about, you know, you need to be professional. It's really about thoughtfulness and remembering that you're working with other people and that it's just as important to do a really good job 
in the content itself as it is to build relationships, continue relationships, strengthen relationships, and continue to build your recommendations and your portfolio. A little bit of a soapbox for me, but I was annoyed by this. Recently. Yeah, I know, I know. And it is. It's <laughs> extremely annoying. And I'll add one more to it, which is um, delivering on time. So nothing is worse. It, well, we just said nothing is worse than not being able to get a hold of you. But not, but it's doubly <laughs> worse when your content is late and they can't get a hold of you. All right. Do not make a brand wonder where your content is. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that sometimes that content requires specific settings. It requires specific lighting. It's, I, I get all that. But plan accordingly so that you can deliver on time because you have to keep in mind, too, and most brands are doing this nowadays because they are paying you money for your content, is that you're probably going to have revisions in your content. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Good so point. you need to allow time for that. And if you're not allowing time for that, you're putting the brand in a very awkward and bad position. So make sure that you are accommodating for whatever you need to accommodate in order to deliver high quality content on time. And to April's point, if it starts feeling like it's going outside of scope or it's starting to feel like, hey, they're taking advantage of me, then you need to call them out on it and and, and have that discussion. Um, again, it should be clearly articulated in the contract that you sign with them. So it's very clear what the scope is. But you need to have that conversation. Just don't opt out. Um, it's not going to help you in pursuing your business. All right. So just to summarize the truth on how to get hired as an influencer. First, you need to have a focus that attracts and holds a community. This is fundamental and foundational to being an influencer because you need to cultivate your influence around something tangible. Second, you need to create compelling brand content. This is the key to getting paid for your influence. You must be able to translate branded content into your tone so it feels like an integrated part of your channel. Third, you need to be consistent in brand character. The brand needs to know who they're getting and that they aren't going to be surprised with unexpected happenings that could ruin the reputation of the brand via association. And fourth, you need to be professional in your interactions. This includes behaviors like being prompt and responsive in communication, delivering on time, and following brand guidelines. Are you craving a deeper dive immersion into the topics on our podcast? Then you will appreciate our virtual consultancy. Located on the shop page of our website, forthright-people.com, you can now download our digital coaching modules on vigilant leadership, culture building, and social strategy. For the cost of a book, you will get diagnostic tools and exercises to assess your current state and development tools to quickly and intentionally improve your proficiency. These are quick yet effective ways to improve your marketing savvy today. Check it out and let us know other topics you would like us to go deep on. All right, our next segment is In the Trenches, where we give real-world examples specific to industries and situations, but with broad application for all of you guys to digest and put into action today. All right, so our first In the Trenches question, are there particular numbers in terms of size of following, engagement, et cetera, that appeals to brands? And this is where we will say, well, it's my favorite answer. favorite answer is, it depends. (laughs) (laughs) And it depends really on who you want to work with and the objectives of who might want to work with you. So as I mentioned earlier, brands hire influencers to reach a community they can't authentically reach on their own. This is why they hire influencers, that word of mouth marketing like we were talking about. But there's always a bigger why that usually has to do with some sort of barrier to trial or sales. So for example, if a brand is launching a new product that they expect will have broad appeal amongst a consumer target, their objective is probably more to get out the word to the target, right? So they'll generally seek out influencers with bigger followings here just for reach purposes solely. They may also want to boost your post. So you should be mindful of that and have mechanisms that allow a brand to boost through your channels. But if a brand is looking to gain the trust of a specific group, they may be looking for more of a micro-influencer who has really good engagement with this group, that has that in with that group. In this case, they're like kind of looking for that friend-to-the-party kind of mechanism. And so they're looking more to build credibility or reputation amongst probably a very discerning group. So this is their way into that group. Either way, know what type of business challenges or sales barriers you saw for. It should be part of your pitch to brands and know no matter your size, showing through your engagement numbers that you have the ear of the community will be extremely, extremely crucial. Yeah. And I think this one says really bluntly, do your homework. Mm -hmm. I mean, I I think that this is another place where 
and I'm not speaking in terms of established influencers who are doing a good job. So I just want to be careful because I'm a little bit of the naysayer in this conversation. We have worked with some who are all of the things that we've talked about today, and they do an outstanding job. But I think this is one where it can get a little bit taken for granted, especially as people grow within their community or their numbers or their size of brands or their influence or whatever, to make sure to take the time and do things with intention, not only in the content that you are providing, but with everything that surrounds the work that you're doing. So whether it's wanting to go after certain brands or, like I said, having a vision to what your goals are and how to achieve them, looking at the type of stuff that's being posted and where you can carve out your own space and pitch that business. Again, Mm -hmm. it is a business. And so just as much as you want to get on people's radar and have them seek you out, you want to be able to either, one, reach out to brands on your own, or two, when they reach out, have something ready to go that you can show, that you can prove, you know, because we said they are reaching out to a lot of people, that you're the one that they want to work with. So I think that there is a tendency to think that you can do this by the numbers. And I think the point of this one is, that's all great, but unless there's the so what of how you fit and what you Mm -hmm. provide, it doesn't necessarily matter if you can't make that case for yourself. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I think it's like, it's also don't be something that you're not. Yes. Especially initially, like recognize what value you bring and what value you could bring to brands through your community. So you might be excellent at product reviews. People might come to your site all all day for Mm -hmm. product reviews. Great. Demonstrate through your numbers that you're able to capture that community or through the responses, um, a call to action, a follow up on a call to action, whatever that action looks like that or that quote unquote analytic looks like that you can quantify, you can demonstrate that you have captured the attention of the community in that mechanism. Maybe it's that you're really good at garnering word of mouth endorsement. And so your whole site is full of testimonials. Right. With regards to things that are um, that you're professing or, or products that you're reviewing. That's another great way of j- demonstrating to a brand that, hey, I can get this influence for you because my uh, community is highly engaged and they provide fantastic testimonials. And they provided these testimonials on the brand and ratings and reviews and they've provided them on the websites and stuff. So or you, maybe you're really good at getting trial. You're really good at getting people to try things. These are all things that you could package up in a mm-hmm. pitch to a brand to show even outside your numbers, although again, I'll caveat that your numbers need to be solid for yes. the context and the brand that you're um you're you're trying to court here. But those all these these things are the one things that you can show and you can demonstrate why they should choose you. Yeah. Right. So think about that. Like April said, do your homework. Yeah, you're showing the savviness in addition to the numbers. I guess that's the way I should have put it versus just It's not that the numbers don't matter. It's that you're able to connect the dots to how your numbers and your story matter to to them. them. Exactly. Really well put. Second in the trenches question, how niche do I need to go in defining my community? And at least initially, the more niche, the better. Um, And we said that up front because you need to win the right to capture attention of a community. And you can only do that if people are clear that you have a focus of influence that they believe is of value. So I'll use an example here. I think these guys are amazing. Um, Dude, perfect. (laughs) All right. Phenomenal. If you guys want to hear that whole story, go um, to Guy Raz's How I Built This episode on these guys. It's it's actually very fascinating. So initially, their entire focus was these crazy basketball shots. And people came to their YouTube channels to see these incredible feet. And I mean, they were pretty spectacular. But in order to capture the attention of their community, they had to keep going bigger and bigger (laughs) and bigger, right? To the point where some of them, I think they did one out of an airplane and they did one from the top of an arena or a um, football stadium. I mean, these things were getting like, (laughs) it's the crazier they could think about them, the better. And this did eventually get the attention of GMC and that got them their first paid gig in a commercial. But you would think, oh, now they're on their way to superstardom. Mm -hmm. Not so much, right? Like I said, you have to continue to cultivate. You have to continue to put out the content. You have to continue to think about new ways of engaging your community while still being very focused on the tangible value you're providing, the lens of which you're continuing to provide your content through. So they had to continue to hone their craft. They had to continue to get scale. They had to continue to find ways of being able to convert this to more financial viability. 
So in order to do that, they started expanding uh, how you know beyond basketball shots to other big, huge feats, like whatever they could think of. And I, I, of late, they just did one for Super Bowl, which was the world's longest T-shirt launch, <laughs> right? So it's it's just now their whole lens where it started as basketball shots, which was like crazy niche, is now like anything you could think of that's just way out like beyond your imagination, right? So and they're doing all this in order to promote their summer tour. So now they're taking their show on the road where they're going to generate revenue from ticket sales. So my question is for you guys, as you're thinking about this, is what do you want to be known for? And and realize the execution of it may be different and may grow or scale or kind of morph, but know what you want to be known for. In this case, a dude perfect, they want to be known for this like incredible like feats of like just wowness. It's just like, you just want to be like, whoa, like, did they really do that? Did they really happen? That's what they wanted to be known for. And that just happened to be the execution they started with, which, which was basketball shots. Yeah. And I like this one because it does what we were talking about before around having a broader vision than just what you're doing right now. Because as you heard Ann say, the basketball thing kind of peters out after a while, right? There's only like, so much you could there's do. Only, it, yeah. it ran out of ideas. Yeah, exactly. And so especially when you're going to scale like that for the wow factor, like Ann said, the wow factor for a certain thing can only last so long. So then you have to move on to the next wow thing. And then you have to have basically in the can a whole bunch of wow things. Right. And so... Because your thing is the wow thing. Yeah, exactly. And so I think that... It could have been very short-lived if they only had this one idea, but clearly it moved beyond that and they're able to live to see another day, especially with this Super Bowl. But I do think that when you think about the niche nature of that, they started with something very specific that built their community. And then I think it probably broadened beyond that to what else can these guys do, which was a very natural transition into this t-shirt situation or whatever else comes next. Yeah, exactly. All right. The third in the trenches question in creating branded content, how much do I let the brand dictate what they want? April, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, we talked about this some, um, but I can put a finer point on it here. So when you think about the integrity of your brand character, that has to come first, because without that, you don't have anything. If you mm -hmm. lose the ability to authentically connect through your unique tone of voice, you're back at square one, and actually you probably can't reinvent yourself at that point because you've already been out in the community in a certain way. So you do have to recognize, though, that it is going to be a compromise. So if you're hired by a brand, they're going to want tangible things like their logo, their colors, their you know key messages, things that they want you to say about the product or service or whatever you're promoting. Those things are all okay as long as you're allowed to influence how you say it to maintain your tone of voice or have some control and balance over, all right, I get that the brand wants it said this way, but I'm more fill in the blank accessible than that. So therefore, mm -hmm. I'd like to say it like this. So as long as it's a debate, that's fine. Uh, as long as you feel good that your credibility is intact, that's what you're looking for. You should expect revisions and some back and forth, whether it's on your end or their end. You're not going to hit it perfectly the first time, especially if this is the first time you're working together. You're going to have mm -hmm. to get to know that brand just as much as they're going to have to get to know you. Even if you've been following each other, this is kind of the next level of that relationship. But we said this before, and it's worth uh, reminding that if you feel like it's going outside of the scope or it's pushing you too far, then you really should consider if this is the right fit for you. Number one, you don't want to burn a bridge. So be careful to exit with grace if that's where you need to be. Uh, on the other side, you do have a contract. So hopefully things are either clear enough that you can try to hold to that. If they're not, learn that for the next time. But at the the very least, just make sure that you feel like it's still within the brand character that you've built, because if not, and you start to stray, your community is going to start to sense that. And the minute you become inauthentic to them and they sniff out that they feel like you're doing it for the money or mm -hmm. the accolades or their whatever, then you lose your power as an influencer. I think those are all really good points. I'd also say more often than not, you're going to probably have to teach the brand how to do influencer marketing. Oh, really good point. Um, a lot of brands are not savvy enough to really understand the difference. Um, and what trumps is usually exactly what they want to say. And it usually comes in the form of some sort of like statement of product performance, 
tagline, you know, whatever. It makes it feel very ad-centric. Yeah. It's hard to come back up against a brand and, and, and push back like that. But if you want to, one, develop the right relationships where the content that shows up on your site is conducive to <laughs> getting income for doing branded content as well as serving your community, you're going to have to learn how to go do that. Yep. And it really comes in the form of something like... I understand that you want this messaging, but you've hired me in order to get to my community. My community is not going to be receptive to this messaging like it is. I need to massage it or I need to modify or I need to change it to get to the same intent mm -hmm. or, or convey the same notion. But it needs to be said stylistically a little different. It needs to be put... Um, in, in context a little bit different. So I am fulfilling my objective to you for why you hired me, which is to give you access to my community. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's not going to work. Now, I can't always say that that, all, that conversation always goes smoothly, um, but it is something that you need to uphold. And it's usually something, an element in a contract you want to have that you have the discretion of being able to dictate what works well on your platform. Right. So that saves you a little bit in, in those conversations. Um, but hopefully, as now influencers has grown and this whole industry has grown, people are, are understanding more with regards to how to work with influencers to get those authentic messages and kind of letting go the control a little bit. But I can't promise, especially on the big brands, that it will be easy. Yeah, very, very good point. I mean, I, I do think that that is a piece that also the savvier you get, the better you'll get at managing the client and anticipating what they're going to ask for, especially for the ones that don't have either the sophistication or they're part of a big brand where they're handcuffed a lot of times. And so they're trying to figure out this looser <laughs> world when it comes to things like digital in general, but also influencer specifically. Right. And I think I've seen the same behavior on the smaller brands. Like I said, too, it's kind of a dynamic where on the ends you have this like tight control because yeah. you, you don't want to, quote unquote, waste your money on, on the yeah. small side. Right. So you want it to be done exactly right. But your purview of what is exactly right may or may not be accurate. Yeah. Yeah. All right. The fourth in the trenches question. How much should I charge? April. Can we say it depends twice in one episode? <laughs> You're going to, so I guess so. <laughs> it depends. Um, but again, you have to really understand the bigger picture and the broader landscape and where you fit within it. So things like the quality of your channels, how popular are you, what brands want to work with you, and what do they want you to do? At the end of the day, though, you're only worth what someone is willing to pay you to do what they're asking you to do. Mm -hmm. That's so, a hard pill to swallow for a lot of people. I know. And and I think that I mentioned the word sensationalism before, and I do think that there are unrealistic expectations, let's say, for a lot of people that enter the space of wanting to be an influencer and what it actually takes to get to those big places. Like, right. you know, we've said make me a video that's viral <laughs> before. I think there's a little bit of that here where it's a black box that gets oversimplified because when you see someone doing a really nice job, you think that they just snapped their fingers and it happened. It's not a space that we know a lot about. You know, it's new, all of those types of things. So when you think about charging people, you have to, again, get to know the landscape, get to know the market, and that includes what other people are charging, what they're getting paid, all of that kind of stuff. If you're just starting out, you need to be more conservative. You have to test out that price sensitivity by offering, we recommend, different tiers so that people can start to compare on their own and see what they're mm -hmm. willing to spend within tiers. We find this works really well at a business level in total because it engages people in the conversation in a much more approachable way where you're not just saying, this is what I charge, take it or leave it, or opening up an aggressive negotiation situation. You're saying, look, you have options and here are the options that you have. We've also seen many of our influencers offer different packages. So in addition to the pricing, there are different options with that where you can say, Okay, you know, there's variations on in-feed posts, tag stories, imagery, reels, and you can compare that way to say, well, you know, as a brand, I feel like this might work 
best for me. And you have some options within that. There's also things like offering incentives, like boosting posts or saying, okay, I'll do the content, but I'll also show up at your event and actually come and experience it. So what people are getting is a true view of what it's like to be there. All of that kind of stuff. From your end for self-preservation, just make sure that if people are asking you to cut your budget, which will happen, Mm -hmm. you aren't just arbitrarily doing it because you will devalue yourself from the very beginning. And it's really hard to up your prices if you're constantly cutting your prices. So if someone says... I really like this package, but I can only do X from a dollar standpoint, then you need to be ready to come back and say, I'd really like to work with you. But if we do it that way, I only attend one event or I'm only Mm -hmm. there for an hour instead of two or I'm going to cut my posts from four to three so that they understand that you're not just taking money off the table for yourself and still doing the same deliverable, that it actually is worth something of value. And then also you can make the decision, it's your business, like we said, to throw things in because you're really excited to work on a brand or it's a new opportunity or a new market or somebody you haven't worked with before, a category you haven't been in. And if you want to give value ads, you can do that, but you also have to make people aware of that as well. So if it's all right, you know, they want these two extra posts and, oh, I really do typically make more money, but the long-term relationship's important or Mm -hmm. the clout that will come with this. You can say, all right, look, I usually charge this. I will make an exception in this case because X, Y, and Z reason why. But just so you know, this is usually a higher ticket item and I'm doing this because I want to build the relationship or I'm excited to work with you for the first time, whatever that looks like. So just make sure that your value is always communicated against whatever dollars are agreed to and that it's in line with what you propose versus what they're spending. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. And I I think, you know, the amount that you're going to have to invest as an influencer is like directly disproportional with like how much <laughs> you get paid over time. Yeah. yeah. Right. So you're going to have to n- invest more in the beginning and you might not get paid as much. But as you continue to prove yourself, as you become more of a known, com- you know, a, a known person out there, a known influencer out there, um, the more that you have the examples that you can demonstrate and you can have the analytics to show, hey, I was able to get this much buzz or generate this much action towards a call to action. You could start commanding higher and higher prices, right? But going out from the get-go that said, hey, so-and-so gets paid this much, I should get paid this much, you have to prove yourself and just like anything else in business. But I liked your example of how to negotiate if you feel like you're getting taken advantage of. And and the more that you can kind of have packages with different things to offer, the more negotiation power and flexibility you have. So I think that's a really smart approach. Well, and remember that, It isn't uncommon. We've said already that people are vetting more than one influencer, but also they might be working with more than one, too. So, you know, we had some recent work where we had several and the tiered structure made sense because of all the things we've talked about today. You know, level of influence, how long they've been an influencer, what their community size looks like, where this is going to show up, the type of things they're providing. And so it made it really easy. I mean, Anne did this great grid, which we all know I love Excel. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That that was facetiousism, if you guys were wondering. (laughs) Yeah. But it where it just very transparently showed. So it made it really easy on our end to vet when people tried to come in and say, well, I think I'm worth more than that. It's like, well, here's where we believe you fit and why, and it makes it hard to argue. So therefore, you have to be ready to negotiate on your side because you don't know how savvy they are or where they're coming from, and you've got to have your answers ready to go so that you don't Mm -hmm. accidentally devalue yourself. Yeah, I think that's right on. All right. Our third and final section is a marketing smarts moment. And just to remind you, this is something that April and I have seen recently that we wanted to bring forth to the group that just kind of puts all of our philosophy into action. Something that might be good marketing smarts or bad marketing smarts may or may not be relevant to the actual topic of today. So without further ado, my marketing smarts moment is centered around Tenuta Toshiano Winery in Tuscany, Italy. Wow. Listen, yes. that pr- pronunciation. I know. I'm the I Italian did, lady. All I right. did practice a little bit. And <laughs> some, some Italians be like, you said it wrong. I'm like, I probably did. I'll be honest. But um, Very forthright of you. Yes, thank you. But um, And everybody's probably like, whatever, Anne. What are you talking about? 
So let me let me give you a little bit of a story here. So I was invited to a tasting at Moeller High School here in Cincinnati. And it was like basically a mini fundraiser for a bigger fundraiser. So you got to come to this wine tasting and you were supposed to bring a gift card to help supplement the baskets for a bigger event that they were having. All right. So in typical like Cincinnati fashion, I kind of expected to go to the wine tasting, which I've been to a, a lot of fabulous wine tastings in Cincinnati. It's a local wine shop and they're going to mm. come and they're going to share, you know, the wines that they have in their store and, you know, have a little bit of charcuterie and stuff. I mean, this is a high school event. This so is a high school you're event. You're setting I mean, your it is ex- expectations but, based on that. I mean, yeah. even a high end one still, it's a high school event. It's, exactly. Yeah. So I walk in and I was like, huh, well, this is, you know, it's interesting. I'm like, well, you know, he's in my person who invited me is like oh yeah these are italian wines I'm like okay great now we sat down and our host from the winery started talking and i was like she's italian <laughs> like she's actually italian and they were actually here from the winery like in all italy the way from tuscany yeah there and i'm just like my jaw just like dropped i'm like oh this is for real <laughs> i mean this was for real and and they did a most like phenomenal job because of the experience of like translating their family winery, which has been in business for 15 generations and bringing that experience here in the common area of Moeller High School. I, it was, it was phenomenal. I mean, the, it was just this Italian hospitality. There was education. I mean, now I know how to hold my wine glass appropriately, which <laughs> was like a pretty interesting um, scenario about how you hold it and you pass it. It's, it was very kind of cool. It's all kind of ceremonial. I mean, they had obviously just beautiful wines um, and they actually had oils like balsamic oil and some other oils. But the whole thing and the way that they presented it and the way they talked about it, I mean, you could just hear the passion and the experience that of, of baking this wine and, and how it was like a gift to kind of bring it to us. It was just, it was just phenomenal. So, I say all of this just to, like, one, celebrate experiences and how important experiences are, but also the experiences tied with, like, now I have, like, a whole new appreciation. Like, one thing I found out, which I knew this about Champagne, but did you know that Chianti, authentic Chianti can only come from the Chianti region in Tuscany? Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, I did know that. I didn't know that. Do you know how you— It's like sparkling, yeah, sparkling versus Champagne, you mean. Well, yeah, because yeah, yeah, champagne yeah. can only come from a champagne, champagne valley in, yeah. in France. So yeah. if it's a Chianti out of, like, California, it's not a real Chianti. Yes. And you know that because it has a DOCG label on it that says it's oh, authentically I made I didn't in get, Italy. know that detail, but I did at least know that about Chianti in general. Yeah. Well, see, that was new to me. So I thought that was all pretty <laughs> exciting. But, I mean, still, that's a depth of education that you were not expecting. I was not expecting. Day. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just the, you know, it, yeah, it, it was just all of that and, and more. And... So I say all that because I say, I, you know, you guys really should check them out. Like, they do travel all around the United States, and they do these wine tastings for a small group events all the way up to, like, bigger events. The wine is phenomenal. You know, me and April love our wine. Um, I, I bought some, of course. But you can go to um, www.torciano.com. That's T-O-R-C-I-A-N-O. They also have um, everything at the winery, too, like hotels and tastings and restaurants and all this kind of stuff. So if you happen to be able to afford a ticket to the winery there, I, I highly suggest that as well. And just want to make one final point to kind of like round this out because I found it very... Um, just it, it just elevated the whole thing for me to know that this is a legacy business. Mm-hmm. All right. The whole family where said this one was like her great, 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 great grandpa started the winery. Right. And now it was her cousin that was with her. And, and, and that was her, actually her first one, her first wine tasting she was doing. And what you could tell was that there was a legacy of character. So when we talk about brand character and being consistent as an influencer, There's an element of legacy there that helps to kind of unite the whole thing together that makes it just so much more memorable. But it does allow for some flexibility for new um, people to come on to kind of like refresh it and revive it and keep it alive, which I think is so, so critically important, not only for brands as they're thinking about, especially founder-based brands, when they're thinking about, okay, how is this brand going to transcend me? And how do I translate that character so that it can continue to live on forever and ever in the, in the spirit for which it was conceived? But also, you as influencers, 
as people. I mean, it's the same exact thing. It's like, how do we developing our legacy that continues to transcend? So even when we're gone, we still have this body of work that says we were here. Well, and I think it's really interesting because a category like wine, and there are also parts of the world that include Italy, where I think the the belief or the stereotype, perhaps, is that it's very highbrow and that it's mm-hmm. snobby and that it's, you know, oh, I don't know if that that's going to be accessible to me. And so I find it really interesting. And I think it speaks to the passion, but also carving out a unique brand character for this family that they're willing to do events like the one at Moeller High School. Yeah, I, I couldn't believe it. I, I mean, like- I what are you doing here? I feel <laughs> I feel like, but mouth. I think that's probably their point, right? Yeah. It's like, it doesn't have to be this way. We can bring our wine to the masses. We love it. It's not so expensive that it's inaccessible to these types of groups that they're going to, right? And I think it breaks down some of the barriers that might come from people that don't know wine or understand how to drink it or all the things that you yeah. said, right? You, you didn't say they belittled me and made me feel dumb because I don't know how to hold my glass. You said, I learned how to appropriately hold and pass my glass. Yeah. So I just think that that's really unique. And, and that's exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about carving out your unique brand character that's authentic to you, but targets a niche audience. I think this could bring on wine drinkers, perhaps. I mean, we're wine drinkers, right? Yeah. So it was awesome for you just from a, oh my gosh, they're here. But I also think that that could turn people's opinions from a stereotype of the industry and bring them along to drink wine and very specifically this wine. That's an excellent point. And they did have a wide range of wine prices too, from very economical ones to well, really if they're if they're ones, worth but. anything, they have really expensive ones. Oh yeah, but. <laughs> and they were good. All right, so just to summarize the truth on how to get hired as an influencer: first, you need to have a focus that attracts and holds a community. So it's fundamental and foundational to being an influencer because you need to cultivate your influence around something tangible. Second, you need to create compelling branded content. This is key to getting paid for your influence. You must be able to translate branded content into your tone so it feels like an integrated part of your channel. Third, you need to be consistent in brand character, just like we were just talking about. The brand needs to know who they are getting and that they aren't going to be surprised when unexpected happenings that could ruin the reputation of the brand via association. And finally, you need to be professional in interactions. This includes behaviors like being prompt and responsive in communication, delivering on time, and following brand guidelines. And with that, We'll say go and exercise your marketing smarts. Still need help in growing your marketing smarts? Contact us through our website, forthright-people.com. We can help you become a savvier marketer through coaching or training you and your team or doing the work on your behalf. Please also help us grow the podcast by rating and reviewing on your player of choice and sharing with at least one person. Now, go show off your marketing smarts.